Hey there, fellow therapists. You are listening to Holding Space for Therapists, the podcast, your go-to resource for all things starting, growing, diversifying your modern private practice and embracing your inner entrepreneur as a therapist. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas, and I am so glad you are tuning in to today's episode. Let me tell you why. We are talking all about money management, but truly this episode ended up being so much more than just talking about ways that you can organize your finances and money as a business owner. Don't worry, we are going to get into the nitty gritty of that. Even talking about things like taxes, I literally just asked my guests straight up, how much do we need to be putting aside for taxes? But in this episode, it ended up being a pretty raw and vulnerable conversation for me. I share a little bit about my own historical beliefs, limiting beliefs that I had around money. Um, I really just believe that I was not good with numbers and that followed me into my career in the very beginning. And I share some of the shame that I felt about the ways that I was organizing my finances early on and a difficult relationship that I had with my first accountant where I felt like it just reinforced the idea that I wasn't good with money and numbers. And if you can relate to any of this, you are in the right place. We are going to get to the logistics and we're also going to get to the emotional relationship that we might have with money. And all of this matters as it relates to money management. My guest on today's episode is Lindsay Bonham of Money, Nets, and Bolts, and let me tell you, you are going to learn so much from her in today's episode. If you are tuning in in September of 2021, I am also opening the doors to my therapist e-courses this month on September 28th. This is the Crafted Practice the Established Therapist Toolkit, and Podcasting for Therapists. These are the roadmaps I wish that I had when I was first starting off. You can learn more at the link in the show notes. This launch period, I also have a couple of bonuses for you. If you enroll on the first day of enrollment on September 28th, you are invited to join me in a social media support session. We're going to zoom in together and offer support. I'll be offering support. We'll be learning from each other and just connecting around some of the challenges of being on social media as a therapist. And if you enroll during this launch period, I will also be inviting you to join me in a live workshop about how to host live workshops as a therapist, if that is something you've been really interested in doing as a way to diversify your income. All right, let's get to this episode all about money management with Lindsay. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. You're listening to Holding Space for Therapists, a podcast for modern therapists. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm passionate about supporting therapists and building profitable, sustainable, and meaningful private practices. Are you ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Let's dive in. Hello, hello. I am so excited to dive in today and talk about money with you especially. Um, before we dive in though, can you share a quick introduction to you and the work that you do and the topic yeah. that we're diving into today? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Lindsay Bonham. I am a therapist turned money coach um, and creator of Money Skills for Therapists. So 
I was a therapist in private practice for nine years, specializing in complex trauma, and then uh, naturally started to get pulled towards this other world, which is helping other therapists actually make money work for them in their practice. Um, so I, I teach an online course and everything I do now um, is about this topic because it's such a pain point for so many therapists and it keeps so many therapists from like really thriving and doing their best work in private practice. Oh my gosh. Okay. Can I relate to the struggles? Um, and we'll dive into that in a second, but what an interesting shift to make complex yes. trauma to money struggles. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think they're totally unrelated also. No. I think that sometimes, <laughs> um, I yes. don't know, you're, you're nodding your head here. So I imagine mm-hmm. that this is actually, um, it wasn't a total jump. I mean, there is a bridge no. there. Absolutely. I knew for a lot of people, uh, a lot of their money issues are actually trauma. So the work I do now is I don't treat people for that trauma, but money stories and like often when we're struggling with money, especially when we're really skilled and competent in all these other areas, it's because there's actually very specific experiences or stories or um, yeah, just your whole environment growing up that have given you these negative associations around money and give you triggers around money and make you unable to think clearly around money. And so a lot of therapists and health practitioners that I work with, they are coming in with that. Um, So there is really significant barriers and that's why they can't kind of sort out this part of their business, even though they've figured out and sorted out so many other things. Oh my gosh. Yes. The stories that we tell ourselves about money are, um, or our origins when it comes to mm-hmm. money, um, the societal, cultural, gender cons- d- discourses that we just absolutely. are impacted by. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So when you're working with therapists around the financial components of their business, is that kind of a place that you start? Do you So for those who are listening, yeah. like is a place to kind of start doing this work to actually take time to reflect on their own money narratives and their own relationship with money? That's actually exactly where we start in my course. That is module one. Um, And the reason that it's module one is it is foundational, right? So if you're not in touch with those stories and if you don't understand kind of your patterns that come up or the emotions that come up, and if you're not kind of equipped to deal with them and just anticipate them and say like, oh, there's that anxiety that I have, which makes total sense. Cause when I was a kid, money was there and then suddenly it'd be gone and there was no rhyme or reason. So I'm always very scared to check my own money. Once you start to de- de- develop that layer of awareness, everything else becomes easier. Um, that doesn't solve it. And like, sometimes the solution is actually, okay, now go to therapy with those things right. um, so that they're not triggers anymore and you don't have to be managing them. They can just be, you know, uh, past memories, but That is the foundational starting place because what I see happen with so many therapists who try to work at money through other means, because we are such emotional beings, (laughs) if we haven't kind of handled and attended to that part of it, the rest of it just doesn't work. Like we can't just switch that off and move into like robot mode and just make these like cold calculated, you know, decisions around money. We really have to take care of that emotional piece first. So that is actually where we start. Mm. I mean, even for myself, as I reflect on my own journey as a therapist and entrepreneur um, and owning my own business and then branching out into diversifying my income, Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of the mindset blocks or times when I felt like an imposter or I felt like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't doing enough, a lot of things around enoughness 
a lot of that for me is connected to old money stuff related to my family of origin. And Mm -hmm. when I go even deeper into looking at the um, experiences that I had around money growing up with my parents, but also zooming out to their context. And mm-hmm. it just, it, 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 it really bring it really contextualizes some of these blocks that can show up for me um, and have shown up and will continue to. Um, but yeah. now I know how to relate to them in a, in a new, in a new way yes. where it pops up. I'm like, Oh, there's that old narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I can have yeah. compassion for it because I understand the context um, not just for myself, but for some of my biggest influences around money, my parents, and and then I'm able to kind of get back in the driver's seat. And so I love that that is where you start um, because it just it makes so much sense as a clinician, right, to kind of start yes. there. But yes. I think oftentimes as therapists, you know, and as business owners, um, we maybe are focusing more on the marketing stuff or, mm-hmm. gosh, I need to figure out social media now um, mm-hmm. to market my business. And then we're scrolling and we find ourselves comparing ourselves to everything that everyone else is doing or feeling like we're not doing enough. And we might not necessarily realize that underneath that might be some money fears, right? Mm-hmm. Or comparison, yeah. financial comparison or feeling like we – don't know enough. We're imposters. So how could I charge this? Or look what they're doing. It's Mm -hmm. already been done. They're already making money doing this. There's no room for me. Oh my gosh. So many ways in which this can show up. Oh, infinitely. And I think another piece of it is once you start to name those stories, like whether it is around enoughness, like you're saying, or um, some people uh, go into more of like a spendy space. So they make money and they figured out how to make money, but they have nothing left nothing left for taxes, but also they're not really getting paid. And that sometimes can be around um, needing to kind of make themselves feel better immediately, like quick spending for like that dopamine hit. Or I see a lot of in the not good enough, a lot of that can go into taking never ending trainings. Like even though you're very skilled in your niche, you just want this one more training and and just this other, other modality. It's only a few thousand dollars and we can do that forever and forever have it that kind of that not good enough is running us. And in doing so, we're spending all this money over here rather than saving that money for our own lives and our kids and our goals and our retirement and actually taking care of us. So those stories have very tangible actions that come out of them that are 100% reflected in money and what you're doing with your money. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. That This is where we started. Um, definitely one thing that came up for me as it relates to numbers, finances, money, um, was I would joke, I became a therapist because I am not good with money. <laughs> like I'm not good with numbers. <laughs> and I never, yes. it was, it, no, it started with numbers. I would say yeah. I'm not good with numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't have to take certain math classes. I, it was stats and stats I could kind of understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I remember even making jokes with my clients, like they would hand me cash and I had to come up with change. And I had, I was a, mm-hmm. I was an intern or, or trainee and I had a little envelope with like the change in it. And I was like, <laughs> I would look at them like, and I would make the joke, like I became a therapist because I'm not good with numbers as I was right. like fumbling to try to like <laughs> make Right. The change Make their them. change. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the words are powerful. And they are. And the truth was, was that um, math never felt like a really strong area for me. And 
that, um, and I'm sure also as a woman, as a girl, there were lots of messages that kind of fed oh into that as well. Um, yeah. cause interestingly, when I reflected, I'm like, oh wait, I did get all A's in math, but I still didn't feel like I was good with numbers. Yes. And, you know, and, and I think that a lot of therapists can relate to this sort of idea that I'm not good with numbers. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear from you, um, how do we, you know, kind of unhook ourselves from that, unpack mm-hmm. that a little bit, but also then yeah. move into a space of feeling like, okay, when it comes to being a business owner, numbers matter. Yes. It, that's connected to the financial health of ourselves and our businesses. And how do we kind of reclaim a sense of, no, I I am good with, I am good, quote unquote, good with numbers. Yes. I can do this. Yes. I can feel secure in this part of my business and life. For sure. And I think, you know, a starting point um, to reflect on is what is the identity you're giving yourself around money, right? Because a lot of times with money, we, the story is even bigger than like, oh, sometimes math is hard for me. It's like, I'm not a numbers person, right? I'm a feelings person, not a math person. So (laughs) once we start to tell, like solidify those stories into identities, then it gets much harder to make shifts or notice the exceptions or notice, you know, like you say, like those A's that you got in high school, uh, they're not included in that story that, right. you know, what what was maybe true in that moment is when you're under pressure, it's hard to make change for clients. That's true, right? But does that mean you're not good at math at all? No. Does that mean you didn't get A's in high school? No. So part of it, I think, is when you're starting to identify those money stories, also identify like what are the fixed stories that I'm telling myself about who I am that are really not working for me and are really not going to work as I continue to grow my practice and grow as a clinician and maybe even expand beyond private practice into having a bigger impact, Mm. how would those things affect me, right? So starting to understand um, the lay of the land. (laughs) I always like clarification, getting the lay of the land, what's happening there? Because once you start to notice and question those stories, then when you move into actually starting to do things differently and build the skills I'm all about money being a set of skills and therapists. We're really good at learning skills. That's like basically all we do is we go to trainings and we're like, oh, that's a really cool skill. I'm going to implement it like tomorrow. Right. And so we're so good at taking things on board. So a lot of money is just learning how to do those things. And so once you've started to detach and become aware of those stories and starting to let go of the identity stories, then as you start to work on the skills, you can actually take in the information of like, oh, this is actually getting like a little bit easier or, Oh, I I actually got my bank account separated, even though it seemed impossible that I would ever get this set up. Like I actually did it and I did that. And that's a reflection of me and my skills and my perseverance. And now it's going to benefit my business. So starting to be able to take in the new information. And that's something I talk about with my students sometimes is sometimes there's a gap between what you're doing and your story about who you are, because you are actually doing things that are very different once you've started to make those changes around money, but you haven't quite taken them in yet. So there'll start to be this disconnect where you're like, I say that I'm bad with money, but actually I've like, I'm ahead on my quarterly taxes. That's not really something that somebody's bad at money would do. Maybe I'm not bad at money, right? But it's being receptive and curious. I'm like, as a trauma therapist by training, I'm all about like curiosity, right? So both being curious about those stories, but also being curious about like what new information is happening as I'm doing this work that actually points to a new way of being with money that I'm already doing and that just looks different than how it used to be or looks different than what I told myself was possible. You are like speaking straight to my narrative therapist heart right here <laughs> in terms of like identifying the the missed 
the missed yeah. stories that the, we're, yes. we're, we're just, we have one narrative, right? And you're right. Absolutely right. That there's a, and it's so interesting as you were talking, um, um, a recent thing that happened just came up and I'm like, you know, I don't think I fully allowed this to become part of my new narrative um, that has been developing for years and, and definitely has gotten become much more um, secure in, in terms of seeing myself as someone who is good with numbers and with money. Um, but I recently took the step of hiring a bookkeeper mm-hmm. um, just this past year because my business has diversified and become much more complicated. And, yes. and I had the financial room to hire that support because of the decisions I had made that allowed that to happen. And um, I just had a meeting with her, a Zoom call, and she was like, you're, she was like, she's like, your business is doing amazing. Like, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Like, look at, um, look at, look at how healthy your business is. And I was just like, I don't know. I think I kind of just like zoomed past that back to like, what do I, like, what what do I need, what do I need to fix? What I need to do more of or what I'm, what, what, yeah. But but Um, what's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. What's wrong. (laughs) And, And, you know, and before I hired her, let me tell you about how I was managing my finances because I want to get into this with you too. I know people want yeah. the like, how do I manage my money, my my finances and organize it? I had a Word doc. It was a Word document and every month I had in bold the, the month and then I had mm-hmm. income and I had expenses kind of broken down into categories. And when she asked for like, you know, what what have you been doing up until this point? How have you been organizing um financial side of your business. Can you share that with me? I was like mortified to share this with her. And she got it. And she was like, I'm so excited to support you in making this even more automated and mm-hmm. or and clear. Mm-hmm. But like, yes. like this is like this, there's a lot of details in here. Like yes. I had all, I had yes. like all the dates. I had right. the, like, it was, it was categorized for my accountant, yeah. like what these different expenses were. It just happened to be on a Word document, yep. <laughs> and yep. um, you know, there it's. And she, but she was like, "This is very organized. This is a lot mm-hmm. of information." But I just mm-hmm. zoomed right past that to like, right. "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that like you even had to look at this." <laughs> right, <laughs> like, yes. I can't wait to get your support. But yeah. I think that I love what you're talking about here because I want the listeners to to take a moment to pause. I mean, gosh, even pause this conversation and reflect mm-hmm. on. Like, what is a story I tell myself about money and finances as, as a therapist, as a person, as a business owner? And what are parts of that story and the things I've experienced that I might I might just be glossing over, zooming past, mm-hmm. or yes. have become sort of forgotten? Because it doesn't fit this one story that has become Absolutely. the yes. sort of primary story. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, in your story as well, Cassidy, first of all, uh, I relate a lot uh, to that, like perfectionism and like, you know, you want to hand it over and um, have it be perfect or, you know, you don't want to show the kind of way that you put it together. But I think yeah. in that there's another bigger story that is around money a lot, which is that there's one right way to do it and mm. there isn't. Right. And so right. for therapists, I think we often struggle because we think like, well, I need to use QuickBooks online. That's what accountants tell me to do. And that's the right way <laughs> yeah. to do it. But if you look at QuickBooks Online and it makes no sense for your brain and you just get overwhelmed and shut down and close it and don't go back for four months, it's not serving you. That's not helpful, right? And more likely you might not go back. Yeah, yeah. And most people, um, 
who are using QuickBooks online and it's not for them, they're just avoiding it till tax time. And so you're just actually paying for software you're legit not using, uh, right? And so yeah. that is you know, one piece that I'm really passionate about is there are so many ways to do money. And so it's finding the one way that's right for your brain, right? And in the course that I teach, like we run a range of options for ways to track. And like one of them is a paper ledger. Like if you are a paper person, you know, it would be the equivalent of what you were doing in your Word doc on paper. Yeah. You write it down, you write the category. That is so, 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 so much better than trying to do it right in quotations mm -hmm. and not doing it at all because it really doesn't suit you and your skills right. and your time and how your brain works, right? And so the tool that you use is always going to be the right tool. Gosh, thank you for honoring that. And I think that's, that's such an important piece here because I think I, I think I still, there still is a little bit of like shame of like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I use a Word doc, which is similar to like a paper ledger for mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And, but the truth is what you just said is that I, yeah. I started my business. I was like, QuickBooks is what you do. So I got on QuickBooks. I, um, I paid for it. I looked at it and I was completely, my brain was completely overwhelmed by it mm -hmm. at that yeah. time. Um, I did, I did stop my subscription, so I didn't pay for it for <laughs> a long Good. time. Um, but then I quickly moved to a Word doc and mm -hmm. it really worked for my brain. And it's, it, exactly. and, and, I, and then as my business became more complex, Mm -hmm. um, and I was diversifying and I had income coming from different places. I had a coaching bis business and separate bank accounts for my, um, coaching course business from my therapy business to my personal like accounts. Like, you know, I was expanding and then I needed support. And so, and I had, I had made good choices to have enough saved up in a cushion and was making enough to get that help. And now yeah. I have somebody walking me through QuickBooks <laughs> yes. and yes. and now it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, the Word doc, hey, it actually worked for me yeah. for a very long yeah. time. Yeah. And I did it at the end of every month, but I guaranteed if I had was trying to do QuickBooks, I would have been putting things off and then come tax time would have been completely overwhelmed. Yeah. And that's what it is for so many therapists is you know, we avoid all year because we have a tool that's not working or we have shame around money. And so we don't want to look at it yeah. or we're afraid. And then we get to tax time and then we have to do everything, a whole year's worth of work in like a couple days. And all that does is reinforce that money is hard and stressful oh and feels 100%. terrible. Right. So it's just, it's a self-reinforcing story. Like when we have that avoidance, um, it just over and over, we just keep learning the lesson that money is terrible. But when you're doing, as you described, when you have some sort of flow around it, whether that's monthly or weekly or biweekly, you're working on it little by little. Um, it's not this terrible, painful thing because yeah. you're doing the work as you go while it's fresh in your mind too. So when you look at a receipt, <laughs> you actually remember yeah. what it's for um, right. because it happened two weeks ago rather than 10 months ago. Right. And right. so even just that little thing of approaching your money in your way, whether that's a Word document or on paper or just organizing your stuff once a month goes so far in reducing the kind of painfulness of money. Gosh, I mean, I think that two big pain points for folks, therapists in private practice can be money, organizing mm -hmm. finances and notes. And, and as you're talking, yes. like note taking, yes. I see, I, I'm seeing these like parallels that you know, there is not a one right way. I mean, we, we yeah. do need to document, um, yes. but there is not one right way. No. And if like having paper notes works for you, mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, I love my simple practice 
electronic mm-hmm. health record system because I tried doing paper at first and I was like, I'm falling behind on oh, my notes yeah. and having yeah. electronic health records helps me not do that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to find what works for you, you versus do. you know putting it off because it's not working and then stressing about it at the end. You know, another piece here, just as we're, as we're, as I'm just t- chatting with you, so much is coming up for me around this. I'm even reflecting on who we bring in to support us with the mm-hmm. financial component of mm-hmm. our business and like how sometimes and how important that role is. So for instance, working with an accountant or a bookkeeper, yeah. if you do make that choice yeah. at some point. Um, but I worked with, my husband and I worked with an accountant for years that was not working for me because yeah. he would not speak to me directly. He would only speak to my husband. And there was definitely some oh. um, patriarchy, sexism oh. stuff happening yes. there. But what's but when I when I, I'm reflecting on this right now, um, and we just changed this past year, and it's a game changer because I'm actually asking questions. I'm mm-hmm. learning. I'm feeling more confident. Um, and and but you know, my my husband for a while was like, we can change because this isn't working. Like he's not like why like we need to change. But yeah. there was a part of my story that mm-hmm. was almost was scared to look at things and to be a part of the conversation. And so it actually like it fit this narrative that like mm-hmm. as I think as a woman that mm-hmm. I'm not good with money, um, that, oh my gosh, I mean, it's it just kind of naming this right now. It's, it's such, it's so relieving to be able to honor what was happening there. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. to also honor the steps that we took as a couple and that I took as an individual to say, this isn't working. You're right. <laughs> and we need to make a change. And to now have so much more equality in that mm-hmm. relationship and to feel supported by the person who is help- is there to support this part of my business. And so I share that story because, gosh, if you are working with an accountant or with somebody who is not helping you, right, mm-hmm. like um, mm-hmm. to take a moment to reflect on, gosh, what isn't working here? Um, what changes need to be made um, so that I can get the support that, gosh, I really need? Because now I'm asking questions that I was always too scared to ask. Yeah. And yeah. like, for instance, like, like people might say, well, what are, what are some of these questions? Just curiosity. You know, I have a virtual assistant and um, I was always curious, like, am I supposed to be doing more in terms of when it comes to tax time, like documenting, sending her certain paperwork um, because I'm paying her a certain amount? Um, I had questions like she's she's a independent contractor, but like how do I? And I just never asked, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I would spend time yeah. on Google and I try to figure it out that way. <laughs> but now I'm asking these direct mm-hmm. questions, mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 making me feel more empowered and confident. And so, yes. gosh, if, if the people that are helping you and supporting you are not <laughs> like you, deserve yes. better support. Yes. It's okay to change it. Absolutely. And I think that that can be so much part of that that reinforcement that like money is hard and, and we don't get it when we do have an accountant who, in your case, is just straight up disrespectful and sexist. Um, yeah. I'm going to say it. Uh, but uh, yeah. even just in having an accountant who's maybe like really into numbers and when they start talking, you can't track what they're saying. Yes. And then, you know, you go into like a collapse 
and are just like, yeah, I'll just ask the internet later or I'll just ignore this. Right. And so having that right person, you know, the way that I think about it is it's the same as finding a therapist, right? It's about right fit. And somebody might be a brilliant therapist, but if, if you don't feel comfortable with them or if there's something about their mannerism that puts you off, it's not going to yeah. work for you, right? And it's the same with accountants. You need to find someone that, the way I think about it is somebody that you like enough and trust enough, you know, that you're willing to ask those questions and then maybe ask again a different way, right? And then follow up if yeah. you can't quite remember what they said. Because yeah. sometimes if we do have a lot of shame or stress around money, we can feel like foggy and it's hard to track. Right. And so you need to be comfortable enough with that person to make sure you're actually getting the information that you're paying them to give to you. Um, And that's such an important step to take. One thing I always say is therapy should be safe and productive. And I could totally see how a relationship with an an accountant should be both too. Right. Like safe enough to say, I don't understand this. Can you help Mm -hmm. me understand um, and then productive <laughs> so that you're actually taking care of business, you know, yes. Um, yes. And, and feel like it's, it's productive in, in those ways too. So, okay. I'd love to hear from you if somebody's listening to this and they are considering private practice. Um, actually, let me back up because I actually had somebody ask a question and said, okay, if I work for an agency, I work for somebody, mm-hmm. I, maybe I mm-hmm. work for somebody else's small private practice, do I also need to be um, tracking mm-hmm. my expenses? Because I, I shared a post this week on my Holding Space for Therapists account about some common expenses and deductions that you might want to be considering. And mm-hmm. I got a DM saying, do I need to be tracking these things even if I am not working for myself? Yes. Um, and so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on maybe how somebody who's working for an agency or not for mm-hmm. themselves can begin to consider ways that they can manage their own biz- their own finances, right, business-wise. Yes. But then also maybe a step or two that someone who's listening who's just starting in private practice, what are some first steps that you recommend when it comes to sort of financial management and organization? Mm-hmm. So in terms of that, that first piece around working, you know, for somebody else being in a group practice, What's most important there is actually like their um, setup. Are they an employee or are they a contractor, right? And that Mm -hmm. implies in in Canada and the States, like in the States, are you a W-2 or a 1099 in Canada? Are you an employee or a contractor? Because that Mm -hmm. is actually the difference between whether or not you're running your own business, you know, Mm -hmm. but somebody else is helping you get clients in the door or whether you are just an employee. If you're an Mm -hmm. employee, then um, you're not seen as having your own business. You're working for somebody else, right? So in that right. case, you're not tracking business expenses because you're not running a business. You, you have a job. And maybe sometimes as part of your jobs, you choose to take like a professional training, um, but that would be seen as coming out of your personal money, unless hopefully your employer, you know, your group practice helps to pay for some of those things as part of your benefits. Yep. So that would be the first. Um, but in the second situation, if you are a contractor or a 1099, you do need to be tracking your business expenses because you're actually running a business that's just working for another business, yeah. right? And so in that case, you do want to be tracking those business expenses that Cassidy has mentioned, and you do want to be doing the things I'm about to mention um, in terms of mm-hmm. setting up your private practice. Um, because that can be, I think, a little bit of a confusing situation for people because it feels like you're working for somebody else, but you're covering your own expenses. So I totally see why people have haziness around that. Like, yeah. what am I? Am I my own business? Am I just working for somebody else? Um, But most group practices um, I find operate under with contractors, not with employees. Mm -hmm. 
And in that case, you also need to be taking care of your own taxes. That's a really important part of that setup. They are not taking care of taxes for you. So you can claim those business expenses, but you also got to make sure that tax money is going to be there. Um, Whether you're paying quarterly because you're already, you know, established and have have filed taxes before or um, whether you're going to owe a bunch of money at the end of the year. Yeah. So in terms of getting set up, if you're in that situation and you just listen, we're like, oh, dear, (laughs) that's me. Um, Or if you're about to start a private practice, the very first thing that I recommend is just like so foundational in terms of the money is just get a separate bank account. Yeah. Create that separation immediately from day one. And it's going to be painful because at first you might actually be spending more money than you make. That is absolutely normal. So it's so tempting to just be like, well, until like the business is really going, I'm paying with my own money anyways. But creating that separate bank account, making sure that all your business expenses come in and out of that account is also going to make it really clear to you how much your business is costing you. Because my suggestion is fund that business. So you're going to give your business a loan rather than just eating into your personal savings Mm -hmm. and your kids like Disneyland fund, (laughs) move the money over into your private practice and say like, okay, you know, my family is loaning my private practice $2,000 to get started. And once I go through that $2,000, then I can make the decision whether my family wants to loan my business more money or whether I want to like bootstrap for a little bit or make sure I, you know, increase my client load faster. It's going to make it so much clearer Because starting, um, I'm making my little enmeshed hand signal (laughs) where I have my fingers interwoven into each other. Cassidy can see it, but this is a podcast. Um, That mixedness that happens, that like enmeshment Mm. between our business and personal finances, when we start out that way, it's just so much hazier, so much more confusing. It's so much easier to have it where your business isn't making money and you don't know it, or you're taking more money from your business than you should be and not saving for taxes because there's just no clarity. So that is absolutely my like, if you only do this, just start that separate bank account and start using it for your business. And would you say in in the process of doing that, also deciding what your business entity is going to be? Um, yes. So that you because to because yes, I had I I did not do that first thing when I first started off, and I learned the mm-hmm. hard way. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. yes, um, and then quickly made that change. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, when you are opening up a bank account, um, for a business, there'll be that question, what is your business entity? Um, and so, um, if you haven't done anything in that realm, you are a sole proprietor, um, here in the U S and if you have taken a step, then, then you will choose that in some States you, um, can form an LLC in some States you Mm -hmm. cannot. And for instance, in California, um, as a, therapists, um, we cannot form LLC. So I have a corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have a separate LLC for my um, educational services, my courses and my coaching. Um, And so that will be a question that will be asked. And and, yeah, so you'll need to have a business address, a business entity um, to make, to to then open up that bank account, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Those are kind of like those legal steps you've put in place first where you're creating your container around your business. Like what kind of legal container do I put around my business? And then from there, you create that financial container where there's that financial clarity. Um, Because as Cassidy said, like you will, if you are in the States, especially you will need to um, set up your bank account, you know, with your EIN, if you're going that route. And so having that in place first just saves you from having to do it twice. (laughs) Um, And I see people in that situation where you've like started Soul prop, but then you switch, and then some of your insurance money is going here and some's going there. So, yeah, getting that clear yeah. from the beginning is also helpful. 
Yes. And it can get messy. Um, but just oh, having yes. that separate bank account is such a great first step. Um, yeah. Okay. So somebody sets up their bank account. Um, and then like you had mentioned earlier, there's multiple ways that you can be sort of organizing and managing mm-hmm. um, the income and expenses. Um, so you mentioned paper ledgers. Like that's, yeah. you know, just literally having paper and pen, pencil, hopefully pen, yes. probably pencil. So you can erase things. Yeah. Pencil um, smart. Yeah. <laughs> pencil to start. Um, and you're just writing things down. Um, I shared that I used a Word document for a very long time. Um, where just each page was a new month um, and Mm -hmm. the month was in bold. And then I had um, income and expenses underneath that and was documenting um, income that was coming in um, as well as uh, fees, um, fees for the income because, you know, I was using – I use Ivy Pay um, as well as Stripe for different business elements and there's fees that come out and so then also deductions um, and I was separating those in different categories that I would then hand over to my account and um, I would put dates next to mm-hmm. the expenses Great. coming out as well um, and specifics to what it was for. Um, and it was just my own method for a very long mm-hmm. time. But I'd love to hear from you. What are what are some other methods? Um, mm-hmm. You know, people, yeah. Excel sheets, some people, yes. QuickBooks. What are, what are some of these options? Absolutely. Yeah. And I do – first, I do want to commend you because your own method was actually like a completely legitimate ledger. Uh, you had all the details that you needed. So that's great. Um, And so (laughs) in terms of those options, um, you know, the way I lay it out in in my course is kind of graduating levels of kind of complexity. And with complexity comes like more features and an ability to manage, but it also is harder. So that starting level, as we say, is like the ledger and it could be a paper ledger. Um, And, you know, I, I say, if you're a paper person, like own it, get like a really beautiful book that's going to feel so good when you open it and has nice, nice feeling paper and like nice pens. And that is how finances has been, have been kept track of for like thousands of years. <laughs> so yes. legit. Um, the next level up is, as you say, spreadsheets. So having a spreadsheet, um, I have one that's part of my course. There's lots of versions of these spreadsheets out there. Um, where, you know, you have like a nice yearly summary at the front and then you just similar to Cassidy's system, but on a spreadsheet, instead of uh, a Word doc, it's just different pages for each month. And each month you just track, okay, this month I had $5,000 come in and I paid rent this much, you know, uh, office supplies this much. Um, And then the nice thing about the spreadsheet is it does do the math for you. Yes. So as long as you've got your formula set up, yes, it automates that part. So that's where it, like I'm saying, it gets a little bit more complex, but it also becomes more automated Um, and gives you more back. You're doing less of the work. Um, The next level up, and actually the option that most of my students choose for tracking their finances is budgeting software. Mm -hmm. So you need a budget um, is a great uh, piece of software and it's meant for home budgeting, uh, Mm -hmm. but it tracks everything in the same way that a ledger or spreadsheet would. So you get like a nice report month to month showing like, this is how much came in, this is how much you spent, this is what was left over. And the nice thing about um, using something like budgeting software is it's really designed to help you think about where your money's going. And in business, we can get really hazy about where money's going. Like we can just get excited and be like, I'm going to do this $5,000 certification um, and not really think about like, wait a second, what am I not going to be able to do if I do that certification? So the budgeting software, that's kind of its superpower is really getting you thinking about how much money do I have for what? 
when my yeah. license comes due at the end of the year and it's $300, how much do I put aside each month? So when it gets there, I've already saved up that $300. Yeah. So that's where you get to get into that more intentional planning into the future. Mm-hmm. And then the last tracking option is accounting software. So something mm-hmm. like QuickBooks, most people do QuickBooks. There's also like Sage and all sorts of other things, but uh-huh. QuickBooks is the popular choice. Um, and it's the most complicated, <laughs> yes. which is why so many therapists started and then go, ugh. And then bail um, because QuickBooks has everything. It is full suite accounting software. Um, And so if your business is more complicated, if you have to charge sales tax on some things, if you're like my business and you're Mm multi-currency, something like QuickBooks does actually check those boxes. And that's where the complexity tends to be worth it. It gives you beautiful reports. Um, But for a lot of people, they don't actually need those features. And one of those earlier three choices is going to be more, more than sufficient to meet their needs for tracking their business finances. That's so it's so comforting to hear because I think a lot of times if you're not doing QuickBooks, there can be sort of this feeling of like, well, I'm not doing enough the enoughness, yeah. right? Like yes, I'm not the enoughness. I'm not yep. I'm not totally there yet. I'm not a total mm-hmm. total legit business owner yet. But like yes. like you said, people have been using paper pencil ledgers for thousands of years. Like these were all very legit businesses. Hundred percent. Um, yes. So, that's, and like, and to do a little bit of stone throwing at our accountant colleagues, um, a lot of times your accountant will tell you to do QuickBooks because it just makes their job easier. Totally. Right. Then it <laughs> yeah. runs the reports for them and they don't have to do any of the math, but like their job is to do the math and their job is yeah. to help you generate reports. You don't have to be pretending to be an accountant all year just to save your own accountant an hour at tax time. That is not a good use of your time. Yes. So if your accountant is really pushing, and I've even seen accountants push their clients into like really complex versions of QuickBooks, like beyond QuickBooks online, like really expensive monthly software. And I'm really, really clear that for the vast majority of people in private practice, it is unnecessary. So unless mm. you yourself are drawn to QuickBooks, don't make yourself do that every month for the sake of your yeah. accountant saving a little bit of time. Yep. Oh, that is really, really powerful advice that I can back up, you know, and like, and that, and eventually I got there with support though, you know, but gosh, for many, many years, I didn't think I was doing enough, but I obviously was. And that's, that's so encouraging to hear. And I hope others are encouraged by that as well. So before we wrap up here, I just I just want to ask a quick question to you about taxes. Mm -hmm. I think that taxes are another area where I know for me and I know many other therapists just feel really lack of confidence of in terms mm-hmm. of yes. how much I need to be putting aside for taxes. And, and, the, and the answer is always talk to your accountant. Like this is very, it can be very individualized, <laughs> right? Yes. But is there like, is there sort of a general like supportive something you could say when it comes to taxes in terms of, you know, how much should someone really be taking, be considering when it comes to taxes, when they're looking at the money that's coming in and money that they Mm -hmm. should be putting aside? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is that um, figuring out your taxes is completely doable with online calculators. (laughs) So if you don't have an accountant that you trust, and if you're not up for finding somebody right now to ask them this question, there are online calculators. The one that I tend to give out is is called smartasset.com where you can actually put in your city, your state, how much you expect to make this year. And in this case, it's always really important to remember you are taxed, income tax, after your business expenses. 
So if your right. business brings in $100,000, but you spend $30,000 running your business, you're only taxed on that $70,000 that's left. Yeah. That's your take-home pay, right? So a lot of times I'll see therapists like grab the number like, oh, 30% is a good guideline, which often it is. It does vary yeah. a lot from state to state, but usually 30% is safe. But they'll take 30% of every dollar that comes in the door and put it aside. Right. That's too much. <laughs> Yeah. What we end up doing is create this like tightness and scarcity because you're actually oversaving for taxes. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the 30% of the money that's left behind. But if you go to a calculator like Smart Asset, if you're filing jointly with a spouse, you can put in their income too and your income and they're going to tell you your actual mm -hmm. tax rate based on where you are. Mm -hmm. And then you can use that information to take a look at your numbers at the end of the month, see, okay, this month I brought in uh, 2000, I spent 500 in the business. So there's 1500 left. So I'm going to put a set, you know, 24% of that 1500, I'm going to put it in a separate bank account. That's always my suggestion. If you're like yeah. building out a basic system, whatever things feel tricky and you have trouble prioritizing, whether that's taxes or vacation, make a separate bank account and just send money there every month out of sight, out of mind, and you will be taking care of it so proactively. So that that is my thought on taxes. I actually have a workshop on taxes. I have a free workshop that's an hour that walks Great. through these steps, um, but also some mindset around taxes because taxes can often be very painful for us yeah. <laughs> um, because there can be this belief that like, this is my money. I'm giving away my money. So doing mm -hmm. a little bit of mindset work around how you think about taxes, recognizing mm -hmm. this isn't actually your money. It's money you're holding on behalf of the government can reduce some of that pain. Um, but yeah, yeah, look for the information online. It is out there. It's It does not have to be a mystery how much you're putting aside for taxes. Gosh, this has been such a helpful conversation. I cannot wait to share this with other therapists. They can soak up everything that you've shared. I will absolutely share um, links to some of the resources that you've mentioned in this episode in the show notes for folks to go directly there, including, I'd love to include a link to that workshop, your free tax yeah, workshop absolutely. too. So yes. I'll put that in there in the show notes. Great. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Yeah, I'm so grateful to have had a chance to connect with you. I really appreciate it. This is such an important topic. Thank you, Cassidy. Hey there, fellow therapists. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit the subscribe button so you can be the first to know when new episodes air. And I wanted to quickly remind you that if you did want to learn more about my modern private practice e-courses, these are the roadmaps to starting your private practice. If you're already established, I've got a course for you that supports you in diversifying your income with lessons like how to create a digital course and how to brand and market your business or how to get on social media and use that as a way to support your business. If you're interested in learning more about these courses, check out the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day.